We are back with episode number 10 of Teachers Talk Film. It's just now occurring to me that this is the 10th episode. Technically, it's the 11th with the bonus one, um, but we made it to 10 in our pantheon of reviews for Teachers Talk Film. Mitchell Main here with my great friend, co-host Pete Ray. Pete, how are you tonight? 10 episodes, pretty cool. I think at this point in the podcast, it's time we have a little controversy. So are you ready for it? Let me hear it. You know, we're filming, recording, not filming, recording a little later today. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. Things happen. Life's complicated. And then I realized this is cutting into my survivor time. So you know what? Um, This may be a rift that divides us for (laughs) the next... 10, 20, 100 episodes, who knows? Because I'm missing, I'm missing a little bit of Survivor. I might even have to stay up late to watch it. So I just want you to know that I'm I'm, I'm extremely upset. Okay, two things. Firstly, <laughs> this is coming from a guy who has a TV to his right watching the Celtics-Milwaukee Buck game. Um, perfectly, able, perfectly able to just put on the closed captioning of Survivor um and just literally nod your head and watch as you are doing right now um and then second thing arguably the bigger claim um or my bigger refute to your claim um do you remember what happened last week what you made me go through last week um the insanely long movie that i made you watch yeah so i knew you were gonna say something as we are starting this recording about two hours later than usual. Um, And I don't feel bad about it Um, because you did make me go through the ringer with almost, almost a four hour movie last week. This is payback. This is payback x-ray. All right. You know, that's a pretty good rebuttal there. Pretty good (laughs) argument coming back at me because you know what, even my movie choice today was, I'm I'm still shaking off the after effects of having picked once a time once upon a time in America. Wow, that that was a long movie. It uh, it was a long movie. I think we talked about that quite a bit on the last episode. Yeah. So you know what? Okay, I take it back. I will I will watch this episode of Survivor four <laughs> times because that will be four hours of. Once time in America, I made you watch. You know, I think that is the only way that you can even the playing field. I think starting later doesn't even cut close to even the playing field. Um, You came up with the solution, though. Um, I think the rest of TTF Nation is still in shell shock um, from that four hour uh, extravaganza fiasco, whatever you want to call it. We're coming out of it. um, But yeah, we appreciate your willingness to adapt this week we we make mistakes so that we can learn and grow and and i already have so uh i'm glad that's happened that's right that's a very teacher-esque thing of you to say um we're watching a shorter movie this week or we did it's about an hour and a half and it is rushmore um directed by west anderson we're gonna jump into it here in a second um but when i hear the word rushmore Um, You might, well, I think of comparison talk. Um, You might think of like Mount Rushmore, the tangible rock mountain. Um, But I don't think of that. I think of comparisons. People say, what's your Rushmore for basketball players, whatever it may be. 
And so we talk a lot of hip hop, hip hop talk. Um, and I'll say that those conversations have felt one sided um, with me just spewing just greatness of knowledge. Um, but I need to hear and I think TTF Nation would appreciate some x-ray hip hop talk. Um, so we're going to open today with this question. Your Mount Rushmore of hip hop legends, rappers, producers, whatever you want to call them, engineers. Give me your top four, a brief little explanation. It doesn't have to be in any order. We already know who number one is. Um, okay, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> if you're a fan of TTF Nation, you already know. Um, but let, let's hear the other three at least. Okay. Um, I'm glad you gave me time to think about this because I, I it ran through my mind. It's a hard question. Again. Number one, I got to mention his name just because he's my guy, uh, Kanye West. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if you don't like him. I don't care if you think he's crazy. I don't care if you think he makes bad music. You're wrong. You're wrong. You are wrong about that. You are wrong about that. You're wrong. Um, Because Kanye West, the perfect mix of sampling, the perfect mix of, he's a lyrical, I wouldn't say maybe genius, but uh, he is a musical genius. Uh, I try and explain that to kids all the time because Kanye West to the younger generation, I feel is just like a meme now because he's he's kind of crazy and uh, his music, I will admit, has fallen off a bit. Uh, but he, he is a genius. And you know what? He's hilarious. Kanye West is funny, even in his songs, which I think is awesome. Um, I could I could start a whole nother podcast about just Kanye West. So um I think I'll have to stop there. That's very brief, but I, I love the guy and I love his music and he's the man. And uh, again, I'm, I'm rambling even after I said that I'd stop rambling. So <laughs> n- number one is Kanye West. Okay. Number two, I know there's only four faces on Mount Rushmore, but this group alone has four faces within themselves. Groups count. Groups count as one. We'll, we'll count. Okay. It. Okay, good. Uh, I'm going with a tribe called Quest. Uh, I love a tribe called Quest. Uh, Q-Tip and Fife Dog are the perfect mix of like just two different voices and two kind of different styles but put together with like the the kind of jazz beats that happen. Mm. Um, Love, love a tribe called Quest. I would really like a tribe called Quest um, poster up in my room. I think that needs to happen. My classroom that needs to happen soon. Students of X-ray, you heard it here first. Uh, end of the year is near. Um, well, you'll probably be hearing this over <laughs> summer break, so that's out the window. But hey, August is coming up. Um, Tribe called Quest poster. Find it on Amazon for Mister Ray. Uh, yeah. So Tribe called Quest, love them. They're awesome. Number three, I've got to do it. We talked about him on the last episode. M.F. Mm. Doom. He Super is, villain. He is the perfect amount of like niche, like not, I mean, he's definitely become more popular, but he's not on the level of uh, uh, a lot of other people of just in like knowing about him, which is awesome. Like just having that, it's kind of nice when you know these like not as well-known people uh, mm-hmm. and they're awesome like the two of us do. And um, 
yeah mf doom's the man the way that he samples songs is just or not even songs like tv shows and old um like cartoons is just insane and then uh like his lyrics you need to read five times to understand everything that he's saying and you still don't understand everything the way that his voice is just like an instrument um Mm. and just like the uh mystery behind him the man in the mask uh I I think that adds to it. And Mad Villainy, him and Mad Lib, I mean, it's, come on, man. It's one of the best albums, maybe ever. Trained you well. I trained you well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm for curious that. to hear your last one because I have no idea. I have one idea, but let, let me hear what you got. I'm interested in what your idea is after this. Uh, number four is Jack Harlow. <laughs> No, no, and that ends. That is the end of TTF Nation. Teachers talk film. We're gonna stop it there. Um, Yeah, we can no longer be homies. I was, I was so excited to see the look on your face after that. Um, No, you had me for like a split second. I know. I you believed me, and and it was great. but I will say, I don't even know what the, the, the new song where he samples Fergie. I mean, that's catchy, man. But that's not him. <laughs> You're right. It's Fergie. Okay. Fergie is my number four. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. We'll take it. We'll take it. Okay. To be honest, my number four here is blank because I just, I was rolling through so many different, like, do I go with Tupac? Do I go with... Um, notorious big do i go with jay-z um there's so many out there so i thought i'd make a decision in the moment and i'm going to go with he may not be the best but he's up there and he's one of my favorites i'm gonna have to go with kid cuddy that's who i thought you were gonna say yes sir yes and again sir. I, I don't like jay-z's had better albums than him i mean tupac is a lyrical genius Kendrick Lamar is probably up there, but I think he's got to release his next album, which is mm-hmm. by the time this has released, we will have enjoyed many times. We'll but discuss Kid it. Cudi, Kid Cudi, I was talking to uh, a student today. We were talking about Kid Cudi and I just like Man on the Moon too. Fantastic. I mean, that's up there with best albums of all time for me. And came out when we were freshmen in high school. Uh, so I mean, Kid Cudi's awesome. He's definitely got some like weirder stuff as he's gotten older and matured. But even that, I think, makes you great when you can go and Mm -hmm. make like weird kind of like metal guitar rock albums. And like it's not for everybody. And some of them aren't even for me. But I think you can find something on at least uh, at least a few songs on every album. And then his highs are so stinking high that that it's. And the, I mean, the him, the relationship between him and Kanye West, they've always been close. Not uh, anymore, uh, though. Do you know about yes, that? Yes, not, yeah. not anymore. No, I know. Um, but yeah, I just feel like that, maybe that adds, adds it for me a little bit. Yeah. Before I give you my four, can you give me your best um, cutter hum? Mm. we appreciate that thank you thank you anytime anytime um yeah i'm really excited to hear your top four and uh because i will say i'll give you props 
when we met in college, you already had the the hip hop knowledge. Like I was, I started to delve into it in college and you were already like a pro. I remember saying to you, I remember this day clearly. I was like, do you know who MF Doom is? And you were like, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yes, I know who MF Doom is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How dare you undermine that intelligence? There? No, I'm joking. Um, this was hard, though, for me. Top four, um, because there are so many. And, man, I could, yeah, I could have a whole podcast on each person. Um, I will say this. My order, I'm going to give it in an order, obviously, just naturally, but there is no particular order for this because I feel like I am disrespecting the artists that come after. Um, and let me say, this is incredibly hard. Um, I'm going to name off four of my favorites, my Rushmore, um, but there are better MCs out in the world. And I acknowledge that, but these are mine for my influence Clearly, no one cares, really, but I'm going to just tell you my four because I have to lay it out there. That's my disclaimer. So firstly, I did say it wasn't in order. This is the foundation of it all. So this is the layer. This is the foundation. And that foundation is Jay Dilla because without it, you're lost. Without it, you're going into the world of rap music and hip hop in the wrong way. You need to really um, get your soul food with Jay Dilla first in order to truly appreciate everything else that you're going to hear. Um, if you don't have Jay Dilla in your foresight, you're lost. It's like Gucci Mane said, um, without the sauce, you're lost, but you can get lost in the sauce. You can get lost in the sauce, but you need that Dilla sauce to keep you grounded, we could say. We got um, a lot of sauce happening. Yeah, yeah, a lot of sauce, a lot of sauce. Um <clears throat> Number two, my boy, Tyler, the creator, not number had, two, just my second choice. I had a feeling he'd be on your list and I commend you for making such a bold statement. Bold. Can you elaborate <laughs> as to why you think that's a bold statement before I read it? Was sar- it was sarcastic. I was ready to defend. I'm ready to no. throw hands. X-ray. We, we preach, um, uh, you know, nonviolent uh, argumentation, but I'm ready to throw hands. No, Tyler, the creator. Um, kids don't believe me when I say, and I don't know if I've told you this. I used to play Skate 2 with him on Xbox. Yeah, you're saying yeah. that I have told you that. I, I have a feeling you've maybe told everybody you meet that. And if yeah. you haven't, you're messing <laughs> up. <laughs> Anytime I see a kid like with like a Tyler song playing on their iPod or something, I'm like start like moving my hands around I'm like all right here we go um but I tell them like I used to play video games with him and all the odd future guys and naturally their first response is no you didn't you're lying my first response to them is you're giving me too much credit here you think I have the creativity to come up with a lie that elaborate and that just random it's not a lie um I've talked to Tyler, the creator, along with others um, in the Odd Future crew multiple times. Um, I mentioned it in one pod. I was pretty good at Skate 2 once upon a time. One of the guys in my crew, shout out Paris, um, went to high school with all those guys. 
and we were in some Xbox Live party chats, and that's where that came. This was before our students won't even know what this is. This was before LimeWire. They were even on LimeWire. Um, LimeWire, that um, illegal music downloading software that I never used. No. Um, yeah, but they weren't even on LimeWire yet. Um, and so naturally, I just gravitated towards Tyler. I think his music's great. Um, you talk about Kanye and kind of how he's declined. And that's okay. He's still a genius, self-proclaimed maybe, but still a genius. Um, <laughs> Tyler has only gotten better. And I still think Tyler's at the point where he hasn't reached his prime. Um, I think like when we get down, let's say 15, 20 years from now, Tyler is going to be up there like with the top artists of all genres, I think. And he's already cracking that. Like, like the Justin Bieber's and things like that. Like he's paving his way into other genres and things like that. And I'm sorry. Say, what? I mean, I know I made jokes about Jack Harlow and Fergie. Did you just mention Justin Bieber? That's not okay. Dude, Justin Bieber is kind of fire now. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> Have you listened let's, to some of his songs? Let's get back to the hip hop. I got my peaches out in Georgia. <laughs> uh <laughs> He's great, but no, I'm going to say, I'm saying Tyler is on or will be on the same level as those guys for the long haul because he is just that talented. Um, he can sing. It doesn't sound very good when he sings, but he makes it work. He doesn't have a singy voice, but he makes it work. He's just a great producer, um, just so creative, samples the craziest things, just a true student of the craft, which I think is really awesome. Um, so Tyler, the creator, number two. And just to add real quick, his last album, Call Me If You Get Lost, the whole like art direction was very much based off of guy whose movie we watched today, Wes Anderson. That's um, correct. And honestly, if you watch Rushmore or really watch any Wes Anderson movie and then go watch a music video or watch his live performances and even the artwork for the album, like you can tell he's a Wes Anderson fan. Yeah. So. Very you tired of the creator-themed episode today. Yeah, yeah, I love it. You see it in the costume design yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, that's excellent. Tyler, one of my goats. Super influential for me. Um, number three, third choice, whatever you want to call it, no order, the supervillain, MF Doom. Um, it's got to be MF Doom. Uh, basically mirroring everything you just said. He's great. He's also one of those lyricists where you just pull up his lyrics on like rap genius. And mm -hmm. like you, you have just trouble reading the lyrics, like in just regular voice. Yet this dude is just spitting off these bars after bar after bar. And he just does it over like organ beats and like just these old timey TV soap sea samples and just Accordions. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the mystery behind him, like you said, like he's like, he created like this whole different genre of rap music, like comic book storytelling. And like, he is the villain of hip hop because he goes against like the traditional, I'm going to rap about my Chrome rims for two and a half minutes or my grills or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he is just the man. He has a really, really cool story too. Um, which again, I could talk about it forever, but like his upbringing, like he was in a rap crew 
with his brother. His brother passed away, um, which kind of created his whole like anti-establishment culture, which he then curated into MF Doom. Super, super cool. Won't get into it now because that's not the focus of TTF. Um, but hit us up if you want to talk MF Doom. You can find that on Twitter at Teacher Film Talk. <clears throat> Clearing my throat. Good Last plug. One. Yeah, good, good plug. plug. Good plug. Um, my throat's getting a little froggy here. Um, okay, this is where it gets hard. And I know I'm just belaboring these points, but these topics, these questions mean a lot to me. Um, hey, we take care in these things. We yeah. care about these things. <laughs> That's why I say I don't ever want to like disservice anybody, even yeah. though they're never going to listen. Um, though Tyler, the creator, is a fan of Teachers Talk Film. Shout out, Tyler. Um, that would be cool if he listened, but he doesn't. Um, <laughs> okay. Number four. This was hard for me because it's like it's nearly a three-way tie between Earl Sweatshirt Mac Miller and J. Cole. Um, but for the sake of Rushmore, there are only four faces. <clears throat> I'm morphing them into one collaborative group. No, I'm joking. Oh, um, I was about to say that, <laughs> that, that doesn't is count. Fair. <laughs> I'm wearing the Earl Sweatshirt hat right now. Um, I gotta go with Earl Sweatshirt. Um, because just like there was a real a relatability piece with him and me at the right time, like when I was in college and he was dropping music and I was like, yeah, I like this a lot. And like, just listen to him for hours and hours and hours and hours and go down the rabbit hole. And he's very much so like the offspring of MF doom, um, which I really appreciate. And then his story is super cool sent to like a boarding school at a young age because um, him and his odd future conglomerate were doing hood rat things that his mom didn't like um his mom's a professor at ucla actually um and so she was like very much so like i need to get my son out of this environment and he came back and like he knew about his fame and how he had blown up but there was literally nothing he could do about it but then he just comes back a totally changed person and like more mature and insightful and when people bash hip-hop like and they say like there's no substance to it. All my first question is, have you ever listened to Earl sweatshirt? Because if you haven't, that makes sense. But if you listen to Earl sweatshirt, you, you get something more, something that you're going to ponder with and really think about. And so Earl sweatshirt, again, no order for my top four honorable mentions, Mac Miller, um, rest in peace. And then J Cole, Cole world, no blanket shout out Caleb Callahan. <laughs> I I really liked it with our last picks. We followed our hearts, mm. and uh, you know we just went with uh, what felt what felt right. And I, you know, we can't be wrong. There are Mount Rushmore, so that's right. That's right. They're they're right in our hearts. But I would uh, maybe that's uh, if you're going to leave a review on this podcast, which nobody does, but maybe <laughs> today you do. You leave your Mount Rushmore of. Uh, hip-hop artists or if you're not a hip-hop fan become one just any your top four music artists five-star review and um maybe what movie we should review at some mm. point in the future because i don't know about you man it's a little stressful picking the movies it is uh, yeah i'm i i enjoy it but it's tough it's hard because like you want to watch something but then you want 
other people to watch the same thing. And like, you're trying to think for large majorities. I get it. There's pressure. There's pressure involved. Yeah. Um, all righty. Well, we're talking about Rushmore. Um, so much of this story um, revolves around this kid, Max Fisher, and he just creates so many different clubs, um, which is one of my favorite parts of the whole movie, which we'll jump into here in a bit. And so my last little icebreaker question today before we jump into our review, if you were able to go back in high school and play Max Fisher for a day, what club would you create at your high school? Okay, I took this question and I, I kind of twisted it a little bit because um, the creative juices weren't flowing and I didn't. It's a hard well, question. It's and hard honestly, question. when I saw this question, this is the first thing that popped into my mind and nothing else was going to enter my mind after this. So I actually have a club that I did not create, but it was a club in my high school that I was a mm-hmm. part of. And I, I almost guarantee that this club has not existed ever in the history of the world at a high school so i'd just like to talk about that because this club this was when i was a sophomore and some some like senior kids created it it was Mm -hmm. just called the the meat eaters club the meat eaters club meat eaters club (laughs) it it took place like i don't know every thursday at lunch in this random history teacher's classroom (laughs) um and the, the best part of it was like they created an entire ad campaign that was done, but like they had an artist, like one of their friends that was an artist, mm. like make art. And it was like for meat eaters only. And, <laughs> and you didn't even have to eat meat. Like I remember showing up with my peanut butter and jelly and just like there were like 60 dudes in this classroom all just eating their lunch <laughs> and hanging out and I almost want to say that on the art campaign, it was like a uh, a no females allowed club. <laughs> so it, it was just the the stupidest, stupidest thing. It and honestly, it had nothing to do with like we we never did anything. We just got together and ate lunch. We maybe did it five times total, but. <laughs> It, it, it was just so funny to like see these like posters up around the school that said meat eaters club and it was like where to meet and all this stuff and it it sounds dumb saying it now and it is dumb but it was just so it was hilarious in high school that's cool it, it is incredibly dumb let me start by saying yeah. that um, but it's cool that you remember that that's why it's so memorable because it was so stupid and I think the maybe the best part about it is the the guys that created it, the seniors that made it. It was like, like I played basketball with one of them. He was like the kid. We used to drive by his house all the time, and he was almost any time you drove by his house, he was shooting free throws in the in his yard. <laughs> like so, it was like him and the kid who like played start was the starting linebacker for the football team, and it was just like all these like popular kids just doing like the dumbest thing in the world they're just at shooting those free throws waiting for the kentucky scout to just randomly drive by and like, whoa did you see that guy like he was he was really good he was really good so yeah shout oh, out yeah. shout out uh no nah, i won't shout him out you don't ow that hurts you don't want to shout well, your boy out i don't know you got, you got maybe we get sued one day for shouting somebody <laughs> out because so many people listen. <laughs> Shout out random free throw kid. 
Shout out random free throw kid. One of the funniest kids I've ever met in my life. Love it. I love that. Um, that is an incredibly dumb club. I have an even dumber club that was actually a thing too. Um, nice. Outside of school grounds, actually, though, like we never met at the school. Um, we actually just posted or created a Facebook group. This is when high school kids actually still used Facebook. Um, Way back in the day. Yeah. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, the boys back home remember the swag council. <laughs> oh, dude, I love it. I love it already. The swag yeah. council. This is this is right when like um, swag surfing came out. You know that song? I'm swag. I'm surfing. I'm swag. I'm surfing. Uh, and swag was just a very very popular word, um, popularized by Tyler the Tyler the Creator even more. Um, but we just created this group on Facebook called Swag Council. And we did nothing at the school, but we just talked about like Fridays are khakis and Nike crew sock day, boys. <laughs> Get them out. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was just so dumb. Um, I think it's still like on Facebook. Like if I go on my Facebook, the group is probably still there. So shout out to all the boys back home in Swag Council. Um, on a serious note, when I was walking out of school today, I saw some bros just playing spike ball in the field. And I was like, that would have been an awesome club, a spike ball club. Yeah. Just get multiple games going at the same time and just play spike ball during lunch for a good 40 minutes. You'd yeah. Be so that was, spike ball's yeah. tough. It is hard. And they were pretty good. Like I was laughing at them at first, not laughing, but like scoffing at them, like these kids, they're volleying <laughs> it for a little bit. I was like, okay, that's, better than anything i've done with spike ball so yeah um i once played spike ball on a north carolina beach for and this is no exaggeration eight hours straight the, <laughs> the back of this the, the back of my legs were i mean like people say they turn into lobsters when they get sunburned i don't know what's beyond lobster but it hurt man the next day we i, I went with like my extended family down in north carolina me and my cousin we, we just did not lose, you know, it's like, make it, take it. We've made it every time we won every game for like an entire day. And we didn't leave. We didn't eat. We didn't drink. We spike balled until uh, we could not be defeated, man, not be defeated. You know, you did what Kobe Bryant would have done and stayed on that sand. <laughs> so I commend you for that. I don't commend you for forgetting your Daywalker sunscreen. Oh, what a callback. If you have not listened to episode five, I believe, of this podcast, you're missing out. Go listen. Go watch Blade. I promise you will not be disappointed because it's uh, maybe my it honestly might be my favorite movie we've done. On a, we're 10 episodes in Blade. I'm so glad I picked Blade. My best pick by far. Such a terrible movie but i love the movie yeah so much and the conversation is just great yes fantastic but back to clubs quickly though yes i think teachers need to start clubs that are only for teachers and they need to be dumb like we just discussed like a swag council like a swag council something (laughs) along those lines yeah like everybody rock your um chacos and socks on fridays along with your tie-dyed button-up shirts 
Yeah. Yeah. I could pull that out of the closet pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. We should start it. We could be the innovators there. Well, the whole teaching at separate schools thing may not correlate <laughs> well, but <laughs> that is true. That is true. I don't know how many teachers would be willing to dress up with button up tie dye and Chaco socks. Yeah. Me included. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get into this movie. Um, we're talking Rushmore today. This is a film from 1998, and the synopsis reads. A teenager at Rushmore Academy falls for a much older teacher and befriends a middle-aged industrialist. Later, he finds out that his love interest and his friend are having an affair, which prompts him to begin a vendetta. This is directed by the famous Wes Anderson. Um, A lot I want to talk about here. Um, A lot thrown into a quirky hour and a half movie. Um, I'll turn the table over to you. Actually, no, I'm not going to turn the table over to you really quick. Right. Take it, man. Take it. It's yours. I'm going to let you have your moment. I'm going to let you have your moment. Um, (laughs) But I just wanted to start. We're on the topic of clubs. I wanted to start with one of our very first scenes of our main character, Max Fisher. I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about him during this review. Um, because boy, oh boy, does he just absolutely destroy this film in the best way possible. Um, Jason Schwartzman is the actor, and he just does an amazing job. Um, but I wanted to talk about the clubs. We see this kid, Max. Um, he is a student at Rushmore Academy, and he's not the best student. In fact, the sort of like dean of students, Dr. Guggenheim, and you can quote me, says that Max Fisher is the worst student we've had. (laughs) And then shortly after that, um, we get just a montage of Max Fisher in just all these different clubs, literally doing pretty much everything besides his schoolwork. (laughs) He's in a calligraphy club. He's in a trap and skeet club, a beeskeeper club like a drag racing club. Like this kid is doing everything. Um, I just love this opening scene with the montage of him and all these clubs. Um, The club's sort of motif then carries into the end of the film, which we'll talk about. Um, But yeah, just tell me what, what are your thoughts? Opening sequences with Max, the club montage, take it away. I mean, is there a better way to introduce this character between like the the line you quoted it is so perfect when you you meet him and he walks away and we stick with the like yeah dean of students president or whatever and he's just like yeah he's one of the worst students we have <laughs> leading into the montage where you just learn like okay he thinks that he's the man <laughs> <laughs> the the best shot of the montage for me is when it's, you mentioned the drag racing club. I think it's called the Yankee Yankee something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and he's just sitting there. He is posted up and yeah. it like breaks the fourth wall. He's just staring at the camera like with the, the uniform. I think he's got the cool hat on. Dude, the he's glasses. The, yeah, he's in the perfect <laughs> lower third of the screen and they're racing behind him. He is in that shot right there. He is the coolest man on planet <laughs> Earth. <laughs> 
he is so cool in that shot. So no, I'll definitely talk montages more later, but what a way to introduce us to, yeah, a character that is so complex and has so much going on. What a perfect intro. Yeah, and he's, I love how you say it, he thinks he's just the man. <laughs> this whole movie does. Yeah. He has so many quotable lines. He puts up this facade that he is this really like, um, you know, super exquisite, well-off kid coming from an upper-class family. Um, there's a line where he says, it's about halfway through the film, maybe a little before, he's talking about his dad. I can't remember who he's talking to. I think he's talking to Herman Bloom, played by um, Bill Murray. He says, my dad's a neurosurgeon. He cuts people's brains open. I couldn't, but he seems to enjoy it. And he just says it so casually. Like, okay. <laughs> no, finish. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, he's just the most outlandish guy. Like, he's so serious about everything. Like, he's in his own world thinking he's the man and doesn't care what anybody has to say. The perfect part, I'm going to go back to that line again that you mentioned. The best part about that, and maybe I'm reading too deep into it, is that, like, his dad's a barber. So, like, he kind of is in a way. He's not cutting people's heads open, but he is, like, cutting people's hair. And then I got into, like, man, like, when you're getting your hair cut, like, those people that talk to you are, like, they do kind of, like, pick your brain about things and find out who you are. So I, that's probably reading too much into it. But that was what I thought when I heard him say that again and knew that he was a barber. Just, like, it is, I don't know. That's just... That's definitely English teacher over analysis, but no, I saw, I honestly thought the same thing too. Okay. Like it's, it's like the closest lie that you could get like to yeah. the truth. Cause yeah, like he does cut hair and everything. Like he's, he's obviously twisting the truth, but he's trying to make it so he can like somewhat justify himself. Um, he later learns to accept his dad and all those things. Um, I believe this is in the moment where, um, we have already seen Bill Murray's character sort of give this speech at Rushmore and like, uh, Max is just astounded by this speech. I can't remember what he writes in his notebook, but he says like, this is the best speaker ever or something like that. Uh, I don't know if it's the only quote I wrote down from Bill Murray's speech and maybe Max writes this, this down too. Uh, Bill Murray says, Take dead aim on the rich boys. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way he says it is funny. It's hilarious. Bill Murray's character is great. And he's one that I wish was maybe developed a little more. Um, yeah, because he's just so like pessimistic, nonchalant, like just going with the flow. But he finds like this weird special connection in Max, like just some random 15 year old kid, which I think is even more funny because it's Max and he's just this 15 year old kid at Rushmore. He has son, twin sons who are roughly the same age. Yet He's so astounded by Max. He says he's like the most unique kid he's ever seen at that moment with the neurosurgeon line that we talked about. Um, Herman, Bill Murray is at his son's wrestling match. And that's when Max says that line. Uh, Bill Murray says, I want you to intern for me at my like industrial shop, warehouse, whatever you want to call it. And he Max like respectfully declines in his Max Fisher way. 
Uh, and then it just pans over to Bill Murray and then he gets up, Max gets up and he's in the singlet and he's like, you wrestle too? He's like, I'm an alternate. I'm an alternate. And he goes and gets plastered. <laughs> he just gets pummeled to the ground. But just it, that, though. like, you can tell that that's Max's mindset. He's okay with, like, <laughs> failing, but as long as he's doing it, putting himself out there, uh, like, it's just, it's another thing to add to the resume, which we see in high school kids do all the time. Yes, there are definitely kids who are, like, want, are, like, stat sheet stuffers trying to do as much as possible. Yeah. And, and Max is one of those, except he's neglecting the studies. Um he also creates his own plays. <laughs> his claim to Rushmore was that he created a play and that is how he got accepted. Um, just a very creative mind. There's another line where he's talking with his dad at the beginning um, when he first like leaves Rushmore and he goes back to his dad's barber shop. He says something along the lines like, I don't know, dad, maybe I've been spending too much time making clubs and running plays I should be scoring chicks. That's the only <laughs> thing anybody really cares about anyways. <laughs> That's such a, like, when you say that, the first thing I thought of was Napoleon Dynamite. Like, that, that, just that line is so just dumb, but actually holds a little bit of truth to it as well. Uh, it, it's perfect. And it reveals that Max, like, I, I just love his character because he, he realizes at the same time he is, like, um, I don't know. He's a kind of a genius, kind of not, but at the same time knows that he maybe doesn't fit in as much as he, he could be. Um, we see that with the like Irish character, um, mm -hmm. Buckin that he's like, is kind <laughs> of his nemesis. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. Yeah. I, I, that, and that sort of epiphany that he encounters then drives the story because He's in the library. He sees this quote in a book that he's renting. And then he goes to see who had the book. He finds out that it was the new elementary school teacher there, uh, Mrs. Cross or Miss Cross. Sorry. And he's just immediately astounded by her. Um, he just approaches her in the most awkward way possible while she is out there um, watching a practice of some sort. And... <clears throat> he just sparks up a conversation with her. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he goes up to her very cavalier and charismatic. And he's talking about like, Oh, I haven't seen you here at Rushmore before. And he's just acting all high and mighty. Um, she then gives him his background, her background, how she was a, she wrote her thesis in Latin and she calls this, uh, language the romance language and then correlate that with the fact that max feels like he needs something new like a romance in his life he realizes that maybe this understanding of the latin language is something that he would want to explore but literally like three scenes before this he says that the latin program is a waste of time at rushmore and so he, he makes a campaign to kick it out and then once he realizes that she loves it, he does everything in his power to bring it back. Like he starts this gigantic petition just to bring this back to her because it's now his new love interest. 
another great montage there where we see him like in meetings with uh like all these like important people and him signing getting petitions signed and yeah it is the perfect just flip-flop from uh yeah moments before he was saying how latin was stupid and then uh, i love at the end of the montage he's like but now i've something along the lines of i've made latin a required class for like any sophomore who goes here like he goes all out but now you you have to take it um and yeah again this is his budding um affection for miss cross and we see how the lengths he is willing to go and throughout the rest of the movie we're going to see a lot more of what he's going to do yeah i think a lot of this story like obviously max is carrying it it's kind of like and for me i love it i think it is very dry like some people might not like it because it is sort of like this mundane not a lot of like really exciting like action happens it is like a lot of montages and dry humor and quotable lines from max um, it's like if if you're not paying attention you're not going to think that it's funny like if you're not into watching this movie you're not going to like it and that's kind of the same like approach wes anderson has for a lot of his movies i believe um i think this was his second feature-length film the first one was bottle rocket which came out uh, a couple years before um with him and owen wilson they wrote that and they wrote rushmore as well um which is really cool because I didn't know prior to watching Rushmore the first time, I didn't know that him and Owen Wilson were such good buddies. They actually went to uh, college together. And I don't know if you know this either, but the actual location of Rushmore um, was Wes Anderson's high school. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's That's cool. cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine uh, in uh, what, 20, 15, 20 years, we, uh, we go or you go or I go back to our old high school and uh, make a movie there. That'd be awesome. That would be cool. I, yeah, I, it's weird. I, I can't imagine that, but yeah, yeah. He's, he has a really unique way of making film Wes Anderson. I think the writing here is what I particularly love. Um, we're kind of getting on a tangent here, but I like a lot of the way that the scenes involving Max are shot. Um like he's literally always doing something and the camera is always directed on him. We're seeing more often than not, like him either looking into the camera or facing the camera with those big circular glasses, his braces, the braces, man. Uh, (laughs) And just dead center of the screen. Like he is always the key subject because in Max's world, he is the key subject. And so Wes Anderson portrays that um and then really one of the only other characters that I really hone in on with like this framing and the camera work and things like that is Miss Cross Rosemary um because she obviously becomes his love interest and she very much so is like a focal point in the rest of the narrative and Wes Anderson shows that really well by just the way he puts her on screen yeah, I feel like especially with her, I didn't notice it as much as with Max, like you did. I did notice it with her. Like there's just a lot of like close-ups of her face for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she's like she she looks like I'm and maybe this I think this is maybe the way that they film her. Like she just looks young. Um, and she is young in the movie, but 
yeah, she just looks, well, she looks pretty stinking great, if I may say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely the way they filmed uh, added to that. Yeah, she very much so doesn't look like um, like there is any celebrity about her. Exactly. Yeah, but she, there's a charm. Yeah. There's a charm to Max, too. <laughs> uh, yeah like he obviously plays it very well but just the and maybe that's part of the costume design that we were talking about earlier like it's like hippie preps preppy hipster meets um elegant or something like that i don't know how to explain it but they well, portray it really well you're kind of getting into one of my huge points about really any wes anderson movie and i think it's why i love his movies is because when you start to really think about them, they are so far from reality. Mm-hmm. Like this is a movie that could like be totally set in reality. Like kid falls in love with teacher and they it's forbidden love and they can't be together. But the way that the script is written, the way that people talk in this movie is so it, it's so unrealistic. It would just never happen. The character of Max and Harold Bloom are so unrealistic. And I love that. Like, I love, I feel like a movie, I either want to be like super realistic and super about like life and those things, or I just wanted it to be fun. And Wes Anderson movies, I always feel like they're just fun. And they're so out there and different and weird that, that I love them. That's what I think draws me to Wes Anderson movies. Uh, me too. Like um, I've seen this one, The French Dispatch, Royal Tenenbaums, um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Glimpses of Grand Budapest Hotel. Out of the ones I've seen, I would say that this is the most quote unquote realistic film. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is up there with uh, real realism talking foxes and badgers (laughs) right 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 yeah that's a close second close second um another quotable line in the same vein of the scene that we were just talking about where max is really trying to um flirt with rosemary cross at the end of that conversation do you remember what he says to her before he leaves is this um i i have a line written down but i don't think that it's the line you're thinking of I think so this no. is I think this is the moment where he says to her, want to shake hands. Oh, okay. I don't have that one written down. That's great though. <laughs> like so cordial, like want to shake hands. That's After another thing that movie. I said is I love how like direct people are in this movie. Like that, like just hey, do you want to shake hands? Like again, that that's a line that never gets said, but it's so direct. Like, hey, do you want to do this? The one that I wrote down, it happens a little bit later. It's after they've kind of met each other. I think they're in the library and she is like, hey, you realize we can't like do this together. We are, mm-hmm. we, we just can't. And he says, I wrote a hit play and I'm in love with you. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's so, so direct. Like just, he's putting it all out there. And the, the perfect juxtaposition of those two things. I wrote a hit play, be impressed with me, and I'm in love with you is just so <laughs> mashed together. It's it's perfect. And then prior to that, in that dialogue, in that same exchange, moments before he says something like, look, I think it's fair to say that both you and I don't know exactly where this relationship is going. <laughs> and she goes, 
this isn't a relationship. He's just so direct with her regardless. He has no inclination of like the age gap between them. Um, he is just almighty confident with it. Yeah, he will, he will not give up in that. I mean, that definitely leads us into the, the rest of the movie. Um, do you want to get into that or just like some specific moments? I definitely have some of my favorites, um, but they're maybe a little further in the movie. You want to go point by point or you want to just shout them out now? We'll just let's preface. He ultimately tries. He realizes that she has a thing for marine life. And so, of course, he decides to make an aquarium for her. He breaks ground. Um, and this is when he literally takes the field, the baseball field, and the baseball coach just goes up to him and he's like, Max, what the heck? Uh, <laughs> like this 15-year-old kid is just running the show. He's hard hat and all. Um, and then Guggenheim comes back to him. And then another quotable line, um, Guggenheim comes up to Max and he's super irate and just upset with Max. Max says, uh, Guggenheim, I'd rather not have this conversation in front of my crew. <laughs> And then moments later, he gets expelled. And and I feel like the best part about this, if a 15-year-old said that to you, I feel like you just listen to it. Like, it would be such a shock to have somebody talk to you like that and just be so like, hey, this isn't the right place for this. Like, just talk to you like they are such an adult and refined that... I'd probably just let them do whatever they wanted if they talked to me like that. Hey, he's gotten this far. Why not? Like he's, <laughs> he's very direct. He's very cordial. He's never like inherently disrespectful, but he's confident. And that's, what's gotten him through Rushmore. <laughs> um, yes, very much. So one of those confident scenes, again, this is kind of skipping some. That's okay. Time, but it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, it is when, I don't know, I feel like at this point that I'm talking about, we kind of think that Max has like kind of maybe figured things out and moved on. This is the scene where he not necessarily breaks into Miss Cross's house, but he comes oh up with gosh. his plan to get yeah. in it at night. <laughs> he takes his bike, which has already been run over by Harold Bloom. So the tires bent. He puts fake blood on his head. And he, he climbs onto the roof of, of Miss Cross's house and knocks on her window. The, the shot is perfect. The bike is behind him on the ground. Um, and she pulls back the curtains and sees him. The next moments are so great. She opens the window to let him in. He runs in. He jumps on the bed. He sticks a cassette tape That's in That's my favorite her. part, dude. <laughs> He sticks it, he knows exactly where it's at. He sticks it right in there, pushes it in, starts the music, leans back, and is just like, it's game time. It's ready. I'm ready to go. He he says, yeah, that's my favorite part in the whole movie. When he, he goes, he jumps onto her bed, doesn't even act like there is any injury to him at all. He just immediately puts the cassette tape in. It has the romantic sort of jazz playing in the back. And he just lays down. So why'd you dump Bloom? <laughs> <laughs> Two other fantastic lines in that scene. He's laying down it is in her bed. It's like, it almost looks like a children's bedroom. And the bed is like a twin bed. He's looking up. 
Um, and they're talking about him and Bloom, and he just goes, he says, he says, war does funny things to men. <laughs> just hearing, hearing a 15-year-old who is like just so lame and all the, at the same time awesome say that is so funny. And then the other one is when she's like finally had enough and she says, I'll show you the door. And he just sighs. He goes, I'll just go back out the window. (laughs) (laughs) He's just so sad, but he's like, I don't even deserve the door. I'll just go back out the window down the ladder in the rain. (laughs) He, He gums in so confidently too. Yeah. I think the first thing he says, she walks out of the room to get a band aid. And he just lays down and he looks up and he's looking around the room, looking at all the posters. And he goes, so this is where it happens. <laughs> and then he's even questioning her. He's like, why do you live in your dead husband's room? <laughs> like, what are you, what are you talking about, man? This guy is so determined. I love it. Um, but this is a huge turning point in the movie for Max. Um, at the heart of this movie, it's a coming of age story, I believe. Um, it is incredibly like funny. There's a comedic aspect to it, um, but it's a coming of age story. Max, um, his story comes full circle. Um, he starts out like very, can we say like obsessively psychotic kind of? Yep, I yeah. think that's safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has the moment with Bloom afterward, like when they're like kind of like dying down from their little debacle back and forth with each other. And this is when he realizes that Herman, Bill Murray, had a thing with Rosemary. Um, He says, she's my Rushmore. And then Bill Murray says, she's mine too. Yeah. Uh, Like, staying at Rushmore, doing everything that he could. It's kind of like the, the follies of falling in love for the first time. Like, you don't know how to control your emotions. And obviously, this is an exaggeration of that, but once he finds that love that he never knew really existed because he tried to find it in other things, he didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. And it's, he definitely doesn't know how to handle it. I like what you said about like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Romeo and Juliet story, but one Juliet's not as uh, naive as she is in the the Shakespeare yeah. play. She kind of, she kind of knows what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think it's perfect because it could be weird and it is kind of weird, but just the person that Max is you, I almost think that everything he's doing just makes sense. Like it's totally okay for him (laughs) to like creep on her and build her an aquarium and try and do all these things, but it's just because that's who he is. Like, I love it. I think the part of that too is like shown through his, like his play productions. Um, yeah, we haven't even talked about the plays. Like he has these just totally far left plays. One question I was thinking the whole time is like, how much of a budget is this school giving Max for these plays? Not only at Rushmore, but at Grover Cleveland. Like he's just putting on these great plays. Um, in one play, my favorite moment where he is in the play, he's in like the low rider. And he's driving, he's driving and he's got the buttoned up shirt with like the dicky shorts. He's like calling people Vato. And <laughs> They're remaking Serpico, like just the, the things that he picks. The other thing about it is that he's in every play that he makes. Like that's perfect too. Uh, he is the, the main character of 
everything. <laughs> yeah, which it comes to a finale at the end when he, the movie really kind of concludes around this play where he brings everybody together um, in his life. I love that shot at the end where the camera's panning across the crowd and like it's Guggenheim, it's um, Luke Wilson's character who I want to talk more. Yeah. I want to talk more about some of the lines with him and Max. Um, and, and then obviously it's Bill Murray, Herman, and then Rosemary comes back. And so obviously Max is trying to like set them back up, but they're all like gossiping about Max. Like he sent me here, all these things. Like he really did this kind of thing. And then he comes out, he's in his new gray suit. It's like a velvet green. It's velvet yes. green. Um, the whole first half of the movie, he is wearing the Rushmore suit, um, like the blazer and the, the button up and all that. <clears throat> in the second half, then he has a moment where he's like wearing the little like hunter's hat for a little bit, which is an awesome hat. Um, but then he has this green velvet suit. So he's very much so like, he has a swagger back, but he's found wow. himself um, symbolized through the costume. And he basically greets everybody at the play. And then he said, for your viewing convenience, there are goggles underneath your seat. Use them if you feel. <laughs> and headphones, not only goggles, <laughs> headphones too. Uh, and the, the other seat is when it shows up the whole crowd and them all putting them on when things start blowing up. Like they, they are like us as well. They're just like, this is Max. This is what's going to happen. This is totally okay. And his, his last play is is awesome it's like apocalypse now full metal jacket vietnam war just it's so and it's cool he's like coming down from a helicopter and it's amazing yeah there's the intermission scene then too where he's um like putting blood on dirk, dirk. i love dirk dude and like dirk's freaking out and like he's max is trying to like console dirk and like he's very calm and cool and collected like there's a transformation in his character, which I really appreciate at the end. Totally. Uh, I think we've kind of been talking about, I think we need to just talk about all the side characters in this movie. Yeah, I think that's a great, great segue. They are perfect. They are perfect. They're perfect. They, I think they almost all get the perfect amount of time. You said maybe Bill Murray needs more. Right. But let's start. Let's start with Bill Murray because Bill Murray in this movie is so under the current under the waves hilarious um there are so many moments i wrote down a few there's one he just jumps over a fence and like falls <laughs> down he's this grown man um there's another one where he goes to meet miss cross to like relay a message for max and they're outside doing the art and he like finishes talking to her and he just turns around and full sprints runs to the to the back of the, the frame. It is so funny. And then probably my my favorite moment is when they're in. Are they in the hospital? Yeah, they're in the hospital for Dr. In the elevator. Yes. Yeah. And Max comes down the elevator and <laughs> Herman Bloom is sitting right there. Cigarette hanging out of his mouth. His hair is all messed up. His clothes are all messed up. But he just looks at Max and he goes, hey, amigo. It's just <laughs> the perfect line. It's, I love it. I love it. I love Bill Murray in this. Another thing I wanted to add, and this goes with Bill Murray's character, that I really like about this movie is <clears throat> the 
like what the characters are doing while the dialogue is taking place. Cause like, it is a very dry mundane dialogue. It's hilarious when you actually pay attention, but like the things they're doing add so much more depth to what they're saying. Um, you talk about the elevator scene. He pulls out a cigarette. His hair is all disheveled. He already has a lit cigarette. <laughs> it's like, you don't need two cigarettes, but he just lights another one just because. Um, and then there's another moment that I you didn't mention with Bill Murray's character. It's in the first act um, where he's at his son's birthday party in the pool. And like everybody is in the background just partying, having a good time. And then you see Bill Murray in like center right foreground of the frame just smoking a cigarette he has a drink on the table and he's just chucking like ping pong balls into the water just splashing them and like one little kid just walks up and just stares at him bill murray looks at him and he just keeps going just throwing little ping pong balls into the water he then then go ahead you're about to say it yeah he climbs up to the diving board in his budweiser swim trunks And then just jumps into this green, grimy looking pool. And he just, this is like the only moment where he seems like he's at peace when he's underwater away from everything. And he's just like in a meditation pose with his eyes closed until that little kid just walks or swims up towards him and they just connect eyes. It's just such a hilarious moment. <laughs> There's a one more Bill Murray part. Uh, and it includes a montage, which is good to talk about those. It's the revenge montage when it shows him and Max going back and forth at each other. And then it goes with Max cutting his brake line so he can't stop his car. And then it cuts to like Herman Bloom talking to the cops. And it like the music stops playing for just a second. And Herman Bloom just goes, there's no other dialogue around it. He goes, five foot three, 112 pounds, black hair, glasses, oval face. And then the music starts playing again. It is just the perfect Bill Murray line mixed with Wes Anderson music montage hilarity. I I love that moment too. With that, on that note, with um, Max kind of meddling in Bill Murray's affairs, I love the moment where Max meets with uh, his ex-wife or soon-to-be ex-wife at the top of that parking garage. He, he offers her a sandwich <laughs> and he has options. He's like, you want tuna or peanut butter and jelly? And she's like, I'll take tuna. And he just has this lunchbox like prepared and he has a sandwich for this girl already. <laughs> and the, the, when he's, because we know what he's going to tell her, the sound cuts out. We get yeah, like the sounds cool. of the city. Like that. that was a cool little touch. Um, next side character. Let's go. Let's go with Dirk. Yes. Dirk Calloway. There are many things said about his mom in this movie. Um, my my favorite Dirk moment, though, is the like re meeting between them. So they like they have a falling out. They're not friends anymore. Uh, Max is working at the like the barber shop with his dad, mm-hmm. and he comes out with a broom in his hand, and Dirk is just sitting there in the chair. I I wrote down. This is a Western movie. At this point, this is like the standoff between the two old friends. And even the way that Dirk is talking to him, he just sounds like an old grown man. Um, And he's just like here to hash things out. It is like, 
I think any movie ever, if you just take a kid and give them lines where they sound like an adult, it becomes funny right away. Mm-hmm. It's so true. And that moment really kind of catapults the whole kinship back into full bloom again um, because he gives him the haircut. And Max at this point has, is trying to like reinvent himself. He has his hair slicked back like his dad and he gives Dirk the same cut. <laughs> where they have like this little hair the haircut and then the hair slicked back like a greaser almost um yeah like they've reconciled and Dirk is like his protege the whole entire movie um yeah you mentioned the things with his mom it, yeah and then that whole scene with his mom at the beginning where Max is like the parking attendant yeah which is t- totally different story but nonetheless yeah Dirk is like you want a friend like Dirk you want a friend that's going to be there with you, understand you. Like, he really hears Max out when no one else really hears Max out. Uh, Dirk is the one that does and ultimately sticks with him the whole time. Yeah. You you want a friend like Dirk that uh, will listen to you and understands you, but at the same time is, like, your loyal follower. <laughs> um, like, that's the best part of it to me. Um, okay, one more character I got to talk about bucking uh the the irish just i don't even know what to call them um we we talked in accents on our last episode Mm -hmm. and i I think i need to do it again because there is a line that he delivers in this movie that is just so perfect (laughs) he looks at max he's sitting on the bench and he just says don't get nasty brother And that sounded way more like Sean Connery than an Irish accent, but I'm going to go with it. Um, the, the other part that I love with him is at the end, he's like, I always wanted to be in one of your plays when Max offers it to him. It's just right. like, oh, this is, the, this is such a nice movie. It's, it's heartwarming. It really yeah. is. Because, yeah, and there, there's a moment where, like, doesn't he, like, just assault Max in, like, the field at Rushmore? I'm sure. I don't remember it for sure, but uh, yeah. Yeah, like they have this stare down where like he's sitting like in the top of the tree. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He has like the cast on his arm. There's that beef and there's that dialogue about Dirk's mother and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Great moment. Um, Last sort of side character. I don't know his name in the actual movie, um, but the character played by Luke Wilson the nurse. I, don't know his, I don't know his name either. I just call him the nurse. Yeah. He might not. I don't know if he's given, he's given a name, but I can't yeah. remember it. And I, that's probably purposeful. Um, I love, cause there's really like two major scenes with him in the movie. Um, there's the first one where he is at the dinner with um, it's Max, Rosemary, Herman Bloom. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, those four, and then him, the nurse. Yeah. Um, and just first of all, what a weird dinner table. <laughs> like so many different walks of life there. Um, and Max is obviously just being rude to this guy um, because he is like said to be the love interest for Rosemary. Um, I'm wishing I wrote it down, but did you write down the OR Scrubs joke? Uh. <laughs> Oh, no, I didn't. I just know he says, oh, are you? Oh, what does he say? You know, he says, oh, he's wearing like the nursing scrubs and he goes, yeah, 
he goes, oh, are you a nurse? And he goes, no, I'm an OR surgeon or something. I don't know. And then he goes, or are you or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Like clearly Max has had a few too many, which is just ludicrous. Like these adults are letting this kid do this. Um, but the one at the end is what the one I wanted to talk about. Just a quick little line. Yes. That this guy says he's at Max's play. And he says, he's, I can't remember who he's talking to. I think he's talking to Rosemary. Um, he says, yeah, Max invited me to his play and he told me to wear a tie. <laughs> I wrote that down too. It's, it's the perfect, perfect for both of them because he, just the way that Luke Wilson says it, he delivers it fantastically. And we still get the little like Max is like, Hey, you're showing up to my play. I'm a big deal still. Uh, you are going to dress how you need to dress and not in scrubs. I think he's like Luke Wilson's character is the one like most removed from Max's storyline. And so like, I feel like he's like thinking in his head, like you guys are just letting this kid do this stuff. And like everybody else is just kind of going with it. Like, yeah, it's Max. And like, he's like the only one who questions it, like without directly saying it, (laughs) he told me to wear a tie. yeah i mean great side characters and i think that's a thing and um you mentioned the royal tenenbaums like all the characters in that are perfect too mm-hmm. wes anderson's just he's the man of and again luke wilson has three lines but we remember him and how funny it is it's 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 awesome yeah yeah um i wanted to just mention we talked about clubs at the beginning and this is a good way to maybe get to the closure um, he has so many clubs at the beginning of the movie. Um, there's the scene where he's with Dirk and they're flying the kite and uh, Max is looking at the kite and then he goes, Dirk's right on his hip, basically. He's like, start dictation. And he's like saying how he wants to start the kite flying society. And he lists off all of these names, potential candidates. And then he names all these kids. He names his um, future love interest, Margaret Yang. Margaret um, Yang. Yeah, who she's basically like a quieter version of Max because we realize like at the science fair, like she faked her results to make it appear Good like m- more grandiose than it was. And like Max has done the same thing this whole entire movie. So Max sort of finds a connective tissue with her, so to speak. Um yeah, and then we see them come together and like they have their whole love blossoming. I, I love that kite flying society scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Great movie, man. Great movie. Are you ready for are we ready for scores? I think I'm ready. Yeah, I really wanted to just touch on that. I think I got everything. Um, I think so too. We said a lot. Yeah, I do love just the last dance number where it's him and Miss Cross and then the song comes on and the lyrics. I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger. That's a great uh, song. Yeah, great song. Yeah. Have, have it in my classroom playlist. Nice. Yeah, yeah, great music. And that's another Wes Anderson thing. Great music choice. You're going to listen to some new songs. Um, the There's one training montage where Oh Yoko plays that song. Mm-hmm. When I first watched this movie, I listened to that song for like a month straight on my way to work. It's the worst song in the world, but I, <laughs> I just reminded me of the movie. So I just kept listening to it. I, I liked it. Yeah. 
I love it. Yeah, there are so many things we could still talk about. Yeah. I, mean, th- I think we've talked about the movie longer than the movie actually is. Or I was close just, to. I was just <laughs> thinking that. Yeah. 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 So hit me with your score. Um, first time I watched this, I gave it a 91. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm sticking with a 91. I think that that's that's a that's right where I'm at. I love this movie. Uh, I've said everything I needed to say. It's great. 91. I love it. I'm close. I'm an 89. Yeah. Um, I'm an 89, but this is still one of those, like, I think this has a higher replay value than a lot of my favorite films. Yeah. Um, Just, you can throw this on at any point and you're going to feel good. This is an 89. I wish there was more Bill Murray at the, in the exposition. I think that's partly the reason, like, it's just so weird that this random old guy and a 15 year old would, have such a like a weird connection together um, but I wish I had a little bit more of Bill Murray because he was a great character um, they didn't have a lot of money to pay him for budget purposes and I wonder if that's why he wasn't in it as much as he could have been um, I know this was sort of like the beginning of Bill Murray and Wes Anderson's sort of connection and Bill Murray's in a lot of films that come after Rushmore directed by Wes Anderson. So uh, wish there was more of him, but still a great movie. 89. All right. Like it. Sweet. Yep. Yep. Um, we're towards the end of the year here, jumping into our conclusion. Give me a quick, it's eight 42. We're teachers. We get tired. Um, but TTF nation, we are putting an overtime for you. Um, X-ray, give us a quick, just little, Week update, how are things in film going? Um, have you heard anything crazy? Let us I know. I think, um, you know, I told my classes this um, this week. I don't know about you. I get a little bit, little bit sad at the end of the year. Like, these guys are going to move on. And, um, like, you form relationships with these kids. And, uh, like, I told them all, like, I'm really excited for you to go. But, I, like, I'm going to miss all you guys. So that's that's where I'm at. The end of the year is the best time of the year. But I also like I there's a definitely a probably a big part of me that's like, man, I'm I'm gonna miss these guys. In the same way, we just had graduation yesterday and it's always a bittersweet moment because you're excited to see the kids move on. You've had them for two, three years, maybe. Um, But you're going to miss them at the same time. Um, but then on the next, on the other side of the coin, you got a whole different group coming in the next year. Um, that so is the, yeah. the teaching, uh, not curse, but it's just our lives. Like, yeah, we, we do it all over again. Yeah. It's the cycle, but yeah, you never forget those kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they'll be missed. Shout out all those kids. <laughs> We're all not going to name them all. Yeah. Just all <laughs> of them. You know who you are. Yeah. Alrighty. X-ray. Um, 8.45 p.m. Wednesday night. I'm tired. You're tired. What are we watching next week? It's simple. The Sandlot. Oh. We're, we're going to be watching The Sandlot. Um, again, before, before I said this, I did not tell you the title of the movie. I just said I think it's a movie that every American has watched, which I know is not true, but it Every American should watch in the summer because, man, it's just the best. I agree. Yeah, I'm glad we're getting this one 
out of the bag early. I like the movie. And uh, I'm excited to rewatch it with the new lens. And it's like it's not on my my I've talked about the spreadsheet before. I've never rated it. And I think it'll be an interesting movie to rate because it's going to tip the balance between uh like favorite and good, which will be interesting. But it's just the all-time summer movie. It's an easy watch. It's on Disney Plus. I think it's on Hulu too. So that's the the pick for next week, the sandlot. Awesome. Do you know what year that was made? I have no, no idea. That's all right. TTF Nation will figure it out. We're inquisitive. We can figure it out. Um, all righty. I like it. The Sandlot. Um, one of our first summer movies. Um, that sounds good to me. I'm gonna watch it. TTF Nation will watch it. Um Mr. Ray, you have anything else you want to say before we peace out? That's it. That's all I've got. My, my brain is fried and I'm ready to go watch Survivor. Survivor. <laughs> all right. Well, until then, next time, watch The Sandlot. Stay up to date on things. Do your homework. And peace out. Peace out. Peace out.